0: This is a Strategist, episode 995. My name is Zane Belcher. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter. Guys, what is going on? I can't see you. That is what's going on. I cannot see you. And you know what? It's the best part
1: of my day. Yeah. You know, the great irony is uh, that other people can see us. If you were a, a listener rather than a participant, you would have no problems whatsoever right now.
0: Yeah. yeah. I'm barely a listener, just to let you know. I mean, I'm barely a listener, let alone a participant. Legitimately the case. Uh, Carter! Carter, I am back. Uh, you guys, of course, did a show without me. How did it go?
2: Um, Corey made me ask a Terrible.
0: Lot. Okay, good to know. <laughs> good Thank, to know.
2: Thanks, Nate. Thanks for being back, man. Thanks for having COVID just the one day so we'd appreciate you more. Um, you know, whatever. I don't know anybody else who's had COVID for one day, but whatever. You just do you. You know? <laughs> We're glad to have you back anyways.
1: Yeah, it is okay. pretty not... pretty amazing that you managed to find a way to uh, be on CBC on Wednesday, and I think you were on Friday as well. But yeah. you were too sick for the strategists. It's too on Thursday. sick for the
2: strategists.
0: Let me tell you something. I can I can do seven minutes. Okay, I can do seven <laughs> minutes of which I speak two minutes barely. And you know why I went on the CBC. I, I, I have to clarify this. So I was not on CBC on Friday. I was, however, on CBC on Wednesday. You know why? Because Wednesday was the verdict, Corey. Was the verdict of whether Flair Airlines was Canadian enough? And guess what, guys, Flair Airlines is Canadian Canadian enough. enough. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness, Carter, this is. I had to talk about that. If I wasn't going to, who was going to? Carter.
2: That's the only part of your interview I watched. That was the only part that I was interested in. Uh,
1: I think "Canadian enough" is an amazing slogan for Flair Airlines. Who's with (laughs) you? I mean, I think they they will be.
0: They will be. I mean, they are our sponsor. They they take tremendous. uh, You know. Uh, pains to listen to every episode of this show. I know that for a, a, a fact. Uh, being our sponsor, not
2: why wouldn't they just put us in charge of all their communications efforts? Right, like we should be in charge of everything. We would have Canadian enough as a slogan. You know, we we've already popularized a uh, a number of phrases. We're we're pretty much the best. Why are they being such jerks about it?
1: We've popularized a number of phrases. Is just the weakest <laughs> sauce, Carter. Just the yeah, weakest. Yeah, Carter.
0: Carter, uh, improve the pitch deck. We'll, we'll, do our, we'll do our pitch episode. In fact, you know what? We'll do it for Patreons no, only. See, here's what happens. We'll, we'll do a I come a up with the that's idea. That's great idea. We will, we
1: will pitch in a way that they cannot hear it. That's a good idea. Thank you. No, that's but- good. I like that, Carter. Yeah. You guys are
2: forgetting the rules of the strategist? I come up with the vague idea. Corey hones it. And then we uh, make you do all the work to make sure that it happens. So I'm already done my part. Fine.
1: Yeah, mission accomplished. It's very Fine. good. Uh, Carter, uh, before we move on, uh, we
0: have been talking about the CBC. Uh, your appearance on West of Centre, um, overrated or underrated? And why was it overrated?
2: It's overrated. Um, Hurley didn't understand the joke of when I apologized to him. Uh, you know, it's very upsetting that... Uh, Hurley's just a little too old to understand the pop culture references I'm throwing <laughs> at him. <laughs> uh, what are you oh doing? my God,
0: Carter, we are not here to dig <laughs> even further. What did I do?
2: Jesus Christ, man. What did I do? I said nothing but you the truth. Oh, yeah. uh,
0: Carter, Carter. What, is uh, so what so did I, I do? You- yeah, it is. It is very upsetting. um Corey, I'm not going to ask you any questions. So I don't. Yeah, really no, we're gonna going to hear Carter uh, Listen, uh, doing guys. the
1: old pot calling the kettle old thing a little bit more. Is that what's going to happen? I also yeah, went good. three yeah.
2: for six in my AFL predictions so this week. It, it was the it, worst week. It actually terrible. just
1: feels like that would be the same as um just randomly guessing. So
2: it pretty much was that's true. Yeah,
1: <laughs> you went three for uh, six. Congrats.
0: Fantastic. I, I don't care. I'm moving it on. I'm moving it on to our first segment, our first segment. I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Guys, the leadership of the Conservative Party goes on, but the deadline for memberships has come and gone. June 3rd was the deadline, the day after the Ontario election. And yes, hold your horses. We'll talk about that as well. <laughs> Guys, as soon as the deadline came and went, campaigns started to roll out their numbers. It started with Patrick Brown. On Twitter, indicating that he had sold a hundred and fifty thousand uh, members or memberships uh, associated with his campaign. Uh, soon thereafter, Stephen Carter, Jean Charest, uh, in a long post, said, "Worry not, we've got enough points to win." Yep. Uh, but not indicating how many memberships uh, his campaign had sold. And then, of course, Pierre Polyevra, uh, the front runner in the campaign, indicating through a tweet by their senior advisor, Jenny Byrne, that they had sold nearly 312,000 memberships. First, I want to talk about the numbers. Then I want to talk about the value of the numbers. Carter, talk to me about these numbers. We're looking at rumors that say north of 400,000, some rumors saying sources say 600,000. Put this into context for people from a national leadership perspective. These are staggering on paper. Are they staggering to you or is this what you kind of expected given the soul searching mission that the conservative party was on, so to speak?
2: No, I mean, if 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 all of these numbers are true and, and for them to be true, we need to be sitting at probably 700,000 members by the time this or 600,000 members, uh, you know, Pierre plus uh, uh, Brown alone is 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 400,000 members. Um, they had existing members before they started this little ball game. Yeah. Uh, so they'd be, they, you know, they have to hit 600, 700,000 members uh, for everybody's numbers to be true. Um, so, you know, if, if we do that, if we take everybody at their word, this is staggering. It, it is just, it's the largest main, uh leadership campaign ever. I think uh, even when Corey, you know, convinced the liberals to, to give away their memberships for free um, you know, that, that, you, you know, literally, this is the same as giving it away for free, uh, but way bigger. And uh, if these numbers hold, if this is the case, then uh, this could show a uh, a rather significant bump for for all of the uh, uh, for the for the conservatives, and really, I you know, holds to be a, to create a really significant party uh, because memberships are only once members are one step away from being donors, and donors are what carry a party.
0: Corey, talk to me about these numbers from your perspective. You've run leaderships, you've like administered and managed them. What, what do you make of these numbers? Would you agree with staggering
1: as a conclusion? I, yeah, I mean, really big. And I think that speaks to the stakes of this particular conservative leadership. It's interesting to me because the last two uh, were by no means sleepy affairs when you consider leadership you know, mm. context and, and everything going on, but this one has clearly resonated with the general public in a way that those other two did not. Part of it is the stakes seem a little bit higher for the conservative party. They're now, uh, you know, multiple elections, having lost, you know, three elections in a row, having lost every party starts to find religion. Uh, but there are such stark differences between the candidates. Um, it's really driving the conversation in a way that feels, um, more breathless, for sure. Both sides are mm. are saying could be the end of the party if you go with the other candidate. At least in the last couple of them, even if they hated each other, even if they thought that they weren't real conservatives, even if there were whisper campaigns to that effect, yeah. it wasn't so yep. overt, right? And so that's a big part of it. And also, one of the things I find interesting, and I'm not convinced it was smart, but Pierre Poliev for prime minister, has really decided, uh, you know, and that's his slogan, right? Uh, he's really decided mm-hmm. to make this uh, like a conversation in the general public, right? Uh, he's not just playing for the party leadership. And as a result, a lot of his communications decisions are being broadcast rather than narrow cast. And that, that has consequences, not all of them good. Um, but it's, it has just changed the overall nature of this race. Now in terms of these numbers, I would be very surprised if there weren't more than 600,000 I'm hearing 625, 675 is, uh, you know, just a general area that people are floating to. No idea if that's true. I should just say off the top, but, um, mm-hmm. if that is the case, it's going to be a wild, a wild ride. And, uh, and that is a number that allows everybody to be telling the truth. A couple of things though, about these numbers, a few caveats here, uh, membership, Sales are not equal to points. That's why Sheree said the thing that he said. And uh, membership renewals are are counted in that number. But that doesn't mean obviously the party membership has increased by that much. So some of this is low hanging fruit. We are not that far from an election. Those do tend to an extent to drive membership sales. So uh, unclear, unclear. Carter, talk to me about the numbers
0: because, from a strategist' eye, right? Because there's a lot of, I shouldn't call them lazy, because I think they're they might be accurate in in the seed of their analysis. But there's a lot of um, what you'd call borderline lazy analysis out there, saying if these pure numbers are true, game set match. What are we doing here? The next ninety some odd days are just uh, are just a waste. Talk to me about when you when you read these numbers, kind of did some of the quick math. Seen these sort of numbers? You've seen roll ups, you've seen roll downs in campaigns and leaderships. What did you make of it from your strategist eye? What did you kind of make of it from uh, perhaps even a dispassionate perspective when you saw these numbers for the first time?
2: Jenny, ha- or I think that Pierre has really good membership sales, but he doesn't have great membership sales across the country. Um, these these sales are. Um, you know, they they differ by region. Alberta's got uh, 71,000 or something along those lines. Uh, that's 2,000 people per riding. Ontario has approximately uh, 1,000 people or l- less than 1,000 people per riding. Um, Quebec has about uh, 25,000 people, so about 350 people per riding. So each one of those things, you know, if if this is true, and again, I'm not necessarily saying that these are all true, but the the first yeah, step is yeah. that because it's a point system, You've got different differences in each riding, so that could matter. You know, you could be seeing significant numbers in one Quebec riding or or ten Quebec ridings to generate twenty five thousand riding uh, twenty five thousand memberships. It, it, the same could be holding true if you're looking at British Columbia, where you have fifty thousand memberships, but you could be li- literally looking at twenty five thousand of those memberships coming out of Surrey alone, right? Like there's significant questions of where are all of these things spread, and I. I think that the fact that this campaign showed us the detail of this is what we're seeing per 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 province is actually a, something mm-hmm. we should look at and say what does this actually mean for the uh for the ridings because it's the riding level that actually matters not the provincial level yeah and the second thing is how committed are these members right are these the 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 truckers that bought all the memberships and and you know just want to take over the the you know the 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 party are these people who will buy a membership and then lose interest? Are these people who were sold, you know, are these bulk buys essentially being done? And we saw this in the Alberta leadership race. Um, And I mean, these, these, so will these actually turn into voters? So that's, those are the kind of my two questions. What's happening at the actual riding level? I think that that could be significantly different. And how does this, um, how committed are each of these members? Because I'll tell you something, the lowest hanging fruit, are hyper-engaged, right? The people who signed up on day one, we went through this with Kenny. Um, The people who had one bought for them by their boss, less hyper-engaged. They may be able to convert that into a vote, but they may not be able to convert it into a vote the way they thought they could.
0: Corey, I want to come to you on this, but before I do that, Carter, you've mentioned something a few times here that I have to pick up on. So let me leave this bracket open for a second because, Carter, you've talked about if these numbers are true. Talk to me about the strategy of putting out the numbers to begin with. And is there any value? Would there be value for any campaign? to lie about the numbers? Of course. Like, I, I guess, tell me what you're... Okay, so so tell me about... Let's talk about the strategy of the numbers. And, Corey, I do want to come back to you on so this.
2: Listen to what you just said, right? Um, There's a question of whether or not, you know, if these numbers are true, why would anybody else even try? Why would I vote for John Charette when Pierre Polyev's already got ha- over half the membership sold, right? Pierre Polyev's going to win on the first ballot. Why would I even bother to go out and, and cast my ballot? This type of duplicity, you know, like th- this type of... Misinformation actually has tremendous value. I mean, sure, afterwards the member numbers are going to come out and they're not going to match up, or the member numbers may not match up even in a week or two. But of course, the you know, we don't we don't know all the information. We're not looking at the membership list. So we don't know if Pierre if Patrick Brown is lying, if Pierre is lying, if Sheree is lying. We don't know any of these things until afterwards. But everybody wants the to appear, like the, the very least, in the game. And these you know, this, mis- this level of misinformation actually should help people quite considerably. So um this, that, I think that this is a, a, you know, it, it's rife with, for misinformation and I don't trust Pierre's team as far as I could throw them.
0: Corey, let's, let's address both of those questions. If you don't mind the first one, maybe respond to Carter on the value of putting out these numbers, the strategy of putting out these numbers to begin with. And is there any value in poisoning the well? And then I wanted to get your strategist's eye on the, the numbers as you see them thus far, assuming that, let's just say, they are true.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't think there's huge value because ultimately we're going to know um, about lying. Now, uh, because you're going to know mm. the real numbers in not too distant uh, amount of time once the party goes through all of the validation of all of that. And, and it's the reason why the party is cautious. You don't want to announce a number that then gets knocked down by 15% because of, uh, you know, improper purchases any of that other crap that can be going on here uh in terms of the overall read of it i understand why it's in Polyev's interest to focus on the metric that he's so clearly winning on which is the overall sales mm. number but a couple of cautions on that a few caveats uh membership not is it's not points and that's not an academic distinction here uh, every writing gets up to 100 points and uh if there are more than 100 members everything gets prorated down there Well, almost a quarter of his signups, as Stephen was saying, are from Alberta, and Alberta will get 10% of the points at the end of the day because it's based on seats in the House of Commons. So Mm -hmm. 34 Mm -hmm. seats in the House of Commons, 338 seats overall. Uh, There you go. You're going to get 10%. Meanwhile, 8% of Polyev's membership sales, if we believe those leaked numbers, and I have no reason not to, are from Quebec, which will get 25% of the points. And we also know, uh, or can reasonably expect, that Jean Charest will do very well in the province of Quebec. So it's not 100% clear to me that it is such a slam dunk case there. Although I do want to underline, this is probably uh, Polyev's to lose still. He, we thought he was in the poll position going into this. He sold the most memberships. Let's not overstate the facts here. But hmm. Leslin Lewis on the second round of the last leadership had the most votes and ended up in third place in points. That That is a thing that can happen here. And uh, that's got to be a bit of a fear of the Polyev campaign is that their votes are not in the right places. Because imagine it's not too hard to imagine that Patrick Brown's 150,000 mm-hmm. were in the GTA. Uh, And it's not hard to imagine that Sheree's tens of thousands, I'm quoting here, who knows what the actual number is, were in Quebec. And that combined, uh, you've got a a pretty challenging block that uh, if you're Pierre Polyev, you might be very worried about. Uh, Sheree said a bunch of other things too, like he overperformed in Calgary. I don't know what that means. I also think that Mm. Sheree coming out so quick, saying he had the points to win before anybody knew the final numbers was... You know, not the strongest, most convincing move. I would have waited a day or two. Uh, It seemed so preemptive that it became suspicious. But uh, it's not over yet, although everything that we do have still points to a Pierre Polyev win.
0: Carter, I want to actually jump off what Corey said here in terms of how well did each camp, each of the leading three camps, if we can call them that, do in your mind from a strategy perspective to show strength? And I think we've addressed the Pierre Polyev one. they put out their number. It's the largest number. You may want to comment on that more, but I'll let you, I'll maybe like park that on the side. Patrick Brown comes up with the number 250,000 and for a good six to 12 hours, people were like, holy shit, that's a lot of memberships. Um, And then Jean Charay, to Corey's point was, we've got the points to win. How did each do and what could have each camp done better in your mind to position themselves uh, for strength if they were indeed going to put out these numbers, which which all of them did to some degree or, or put out some narrative about the numbers to some degree?
2: Well, I think that the only thing that's left to do and I don't know that they should have done it to this point because I actually don't mind the Sheree. I've got the points to to win piece. I don't th- I I didn't have the same concerns about Corey about the timing. Um I think it's the right message for Sheree. Sheree has always been taking this position that you know, there's 7,500 points in Quebec. That's a lot of points. Uh, there's another 40, what, 4,500 or so in Atlantic Canada. That's a lot yeah, of points. Yeah. You know, he, he has the ability to get those types of points. And and Patrick Brown, in terms of his 150,000 memberships, I don't think that Patrick Brown's going to win this. I, I don't think that um, that's going to be his future. But I do think that Patrick Brown plus John Charest could exceed uh, Pierre Polyev even though he's sold the most memberships because his memberships are in the wrong places. Um, So I I do think, you know, like when when I look at a points leadership, the very first thing I do is look for low, uh, like high value points. So where are the high value points? Where does my low investment to get points? And those high value points exist and they exist in every leadership. Um, high value, yeah. low investment points for the most part in the Conservative Party are going to ele- are going to be in places where you don't have a Conservative member of Parliament. So winning, you know, getting uh, extra memberships sold in Saskatchewan, getting extra memberships sold in Manitoba, you know, uh, the the extra stuff that's happened in Alberta isn't as is valuable. And I think that given what happens in in British Columbia, where you see um, significant. Uh, membership sales without necessarily significant membership engagement. I'm not sure that this is like. I think that we that we are looking at something that's going to be more competitive than Corey is alluding to. Um, so I think that everybody did the right thing. And the next thing that comes together is Patrick Brown and John Chiray saying, "You know what? We each campaign for this thing as le- on our own, but we will work together to ensure that Pierre Proulx does not does not win."
0: Is that the next chapter here Corey? Do you think that that should be the next chapter for 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 both of those camps to strategically start coming together, coalescing a bit, looking like <laughs> one uh, sort of machine
1: that could be, beat Pete Pol- Pierre Polyevra and it, and his juggernaut? I don't think it's the next chapter. It's the current chapter. It's the previous chapter. The fact that they'd be on stage and say, yeah, we get along great. And we like each other. I mean, this is what it looks like. And you can look at a strengthening of that language as it's going on, but there's clearly a uh, mm. a bit of a coalition I, you know, it, it's unspoken, but it's real. Like, there is no way in my mind those two camps have not been in active conversations about how they're going yeah. to uh, support each other. It will have to be overt at a certain point. If it was a delegated convention, it's something you could announce after round one. It's not a delegated mm-hmm. convention. So you're going to need to telegraph to all of your members that uh, that it's the case now. There's two versions of that. Stephen's very familiar with version one, which is to say, they're my second choice right oh, yes um, which which basically kind of pulls in uh mm-hmm. the people uh, in a very implicit way but it's not necessarily explicit uh the explicit version is to say mark them second like if, if you're not going to vote for me vote for them uh or and have both of them come to that accord uh more publicly you know i actually can't think of recent history where that has happened uh you know where, it, mm. where it's been so overt that and uh, the two are ganging up on a, on a front runner. Um, so it'd be interesting to see if they go that road. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen this time because they've already done the steps that you expect near the end with a hundred days to go.
0: Carter, how do they make that successful? How do they actually make that convincing and successful? Corey's right. We've known this from the beginning, ever since Patrick Brown announced, he talked about Jean Chere being his political idol. We talked about, you know, all that stuff is already out there. So we know, right? This hasn't gotten to the Trojan horse level, right? Like, this is not that. But how do they make this successful? And, and, and to Corey's point, when and how does it start looking overt in your mind, strategically uh, and optimally strategically?
2: Well, I mean, it, 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 as soon as the ballots start landing in people's mailboxes, you got to start talking about how to fill a man. So that overt piece needs to be communicated. If it were me, I'd be I'd be sending them uh, negative negative information right now about Pierre Polyev. I would be going through. I'd be focusing on Bitcoin. I'd be focusing on the Bank of Canada. I'd be focusing on you know he's got so many outlandish positions um, that you can go and say this is this is not someone who's ever going to be prime minister. If we want to elect a prime minister, then you know you know whatever points and as much commonalities you can get between Brown and Sharae. That's super, super easy. But um, as soon as the ballots start to land, you've got to send out to people how to fill in the ballot. And the excuse is um, the excuse of how to fill in the ballot is it's a single transferable vote. We don't do it all the time, you know, preferential ballot, whatever words we want to use. Um, So we're going to walk people through how to fill in this ballot and how important it is. Um, I would also include in that how this is likely to roll up. Um, Pierre Polyev's significantly leveraged in high population ridings, dun, dun, dun. you know, the opportunity exists for us, mm-hmm. especially if you live, if you live in an area, uh, you know, with blank, um, you know, you're, you're far more valuable to the progressive conservative or to the conservative party of Canada. than than anybody else. I don't know. I'd, I'd need to workshop that a bit before I got there. But your communications at that point need to be very clear that this is winnable and that each vote's going to count disproportionately. The Patrick Brown, Jean Charest votes are worth two votes of the Pierre Polyev votes. Pierre Polyev. Yeah. So
0: you're spoon feeding that that
1: message. Corey, you want to jump in on this? Well, uh, so I do think you need to show that there's a path to victory, which is the logic of the Jean Charest uh, conversation. And he's got to continue to remind Around people. Around the points and yeah. how he's been so it's,
0: explicit about that.
1: Yeah. And he's going to have to find language that's not, we've got the points to win. It's It's that the conservative party chooses its leader based on broad support not narrow interest group support or something to that effect. And we have very Mm -hmm. broad support. We've sold more memberships in in places where the Conservatives can be competitive but haven't been competitive recently. Whatever it is, you can't look like you're just trying to win on on the points alone. That's going to cause you troubles down the road if you win. Um, You've got some time. I don't think the membership or sorry, the ballots go out until the end of July, the start of August, I could be wrong on that, but it seems to be, it's a long I time. Recall. I
2: mean, it's still, it's still yeah. 90 plus days until the, the results are announced. So they got time. So
1: uh, yeah, they've got a bit of time on this. And so they can play out this theater a little bit longer. What's going to be interesting to see is obviously going into the summer, <laughs> you don't have as much interest in politics generally. Uh, mm-hmm. And also there are no other debates currently scheduled. So yeah. Like, where are the flashpoints going to come from? What's going to shake things up? What's going to be the thing that's going to allow you to to say the thing? Um you're gonna to have to create those as a campaign because the thing we haven't talked about here, and I think it's worth saying is we are largely treating the membership sales as destiny, which is I, I think that's actually the bias Steven and I both bring in here, right? You choose the electorate. you choose the outcome. But, yeah. If this is a game of inches, if the charade campaign has managed to get close, if charade plus Brown in points, say, equals 45%, right, then mm-hmm. maybe changing minds is how you get that last 5%, right? Bringing up the negatives of Pierre Polyevs, shaking them out of that campaign uh, and having them uh, kick to you or making yourself the second choice of the Lewis voters, whatever your strategy is, this is the time for strategy and it's to think about those things depends on the numbers. That's going to dictate what happens next. But persuasion is not necessarily gone and dead from this campaign.
0: Carter, I'm glad Corey mentioned this. I do want to talk about this. What does strategy look like to you now as some basic principles um, when you think about the fact that the universe is now defined, right? The universe of membership is now defined. But then the question can really be brought up, and Corey, you were hinting at this maybe in, in some ways, which is is there any value to start doing, you know, things more publicly beyond the membership to kind of persuade the folks that are in the membership uh, indirectly? Or are you now speaking directly to this base, Carter? Like, Carter, how are you juggling all the competing priorities? How are you juggling all those things, all the opportunities or lack thereof? Corey mentioned no debates. What is your sort of baseline thinking of strategy if you're, let's say, one of the um, the camps, either charade? Or Brown here, how are you thinking about strategy over the course of the next 90 some days in your mind, if you're leading these campaigns, Carter?
2: I'm thinking a lot about how selfish the average voter is. And I don't say that in any kind of judgmental fashion. The average voter is is a pretty selfish person. Um, my thinking would be a lot of direct mail. I'd be, I'd be using direct mail instead of using major um, communications tactics. Uh, there'd be an event. So I would do a direct mail campaign structure. I'd do an event campaign structure, and I'd have a media relations campaign structure. And all three of those things can, in fact, be linked. You know, you have a big event. You're, you're If you've outperformed in Calgary, then we expect to see you at the Calgary Stampede. And when you're at the Calgary Stampede, it's going to be a fantastic fucking event because you've outperformed in Calgary. So we're going to see a bunch of people there, and we're going to have that part of our media relations campaign. And then once that happens, we're going to send that information either through an email or direct mail to the rest of the uh, of our voting population to show the strength and capacity that we have in places that people would think would be surprised. Um, but also I'm making sure that we're communicating on a micro basis. I'm not talking as much about myself. I'm going to talk about the people that Pierre hurt. I'd be doing I'd be doing as much research as humanly possible to try and find some of the, someone who bought cryptocurrency when Pierre told them to buy cryptocurrency and I would then share that person's story through the membership. Right. Pierre Polyev did this in order to win points, um, but he cost this person $8,000, right? The cost to the individual. um, This is Pierre's model. He will hurt the individual in an effort to help himself. And that's all he's ever been about. You know, so that type of thing where you build up your own strength and your own chances while tearing down the other guys. I would be doing that all all the time. That would be my my primary strategy. Um, And I would use those three primary tactics, events, you know, direct mail and media relations.
0: You know, Corey Carter got into some tactics, but I'm curious to hear whether it's tactics or a a larger framework for strategy and how you think about it. What would you be thinking about over the next 90 some odd days if you're in the Charae or Patrick Brown camp?
1: Yeah. So let's just say you've got 650,000 conservative voters out there. In in a way, um, it's not so different from a general at this point. You've got three fundamental questions. Whose mind can you change? Who are the accessible voters out there? Who needs your help to go vote? Uh, so your supporters who are maybe going to vote or not vote, depending on how much you drum up their enthusiasm to go cast their ballot. And then finally, uh, how can you reduce the other side's enthusiasm to vote? Which is not the same as saying you vote at the wrong poll or anything like that. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. to say... Well, maybe I'm not that excited about voting anymore. Uh, And maybe we'll get to this today, but see turnout in Ontario, right? Of 40%. These things can happen in a leadership too. You buy the membership at one point because, God, you know, your friend dragged you out to this Pierre Polyev event in Calgary and the energy in the room was huge. There were thousands of people there.
2: Mm, Uh, And mm, you mm. put some
1: money into Bitcoin and shit, you lost a bunch. And, you know, well, you generally think he's okay still. You're not that wild about him anymore, right? maybe you'll vote maybe you're not and maybe to not vote all you need is to hear another negative thing about them another thing that just pushes you off to like i'm not i fuck it i'm not that interested anymore and and that's really in a way that's just campaigning one-on-one stuff right uh but it requires you to to make some decisions um whose mind can you change let's imagine that you can change the minds of people in uh Alberta, very easily, and Quebec, not at all. Well, you're not going to put any resources into Quebec. You're going to put them into Alberta. That's almost certainly not the case. I'm using it as an example here, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Um, Who needs your help to vote? Well, let's say anybody who had a membership in the past, maybe you even know if they voted in the last leadership, you're pretty safe that they're going to vote. Even if they're your supporter, don't waste your resources there. And what you're always trying to do in a campaign, in a most fundamental sense, is allocate resources efficiently. So what's going to get you that next point in this case, right? If yes, if you can get yes. that point through five votes in Alberta or one vote in Quebec, that's an interesting starting point, right? However, if that one vote in Quebec is for sure going to show up and it's already for you and those five in Alberta up for grabs... That changes your thinking. So it's capturing all of those variables and it's building out a strategy as a result. Is there something common to those voters besides geography? Are they a certain age? Do they have certain issues that matter to them? And that's how, what we do when we build a campaign strategy, right? There's, it, it, that's the science that we talk about here. Um, and it's it's an interesting one. And uh, they're, they're going to now be in an environment where they're going to reset and refocus their campaigns based on the reality in front of them, which is, these 650,000 voters.
0: Carter, uh, talk to me as we round this out about Pierre's strategy. You know, if if the strategy of Charest and Brown is to ensure that the shine, at least for some people, comes off, that their voters turn out, um, what is the strategy for Pierre here? And 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 it might be very s- simple as saying ensure that the shine stays on, that the virality continues, that the show of strength goes on. Is it more complicated than that? And if so, what is it? And, and how do you... Ensure you execute it over the next less than hundred days, Carter.
2: Well, I think I would work on two things. I would be trying to reduce the the efficacy. You know, I'd I'd be drawing uh, some sort of push between Sharay and, and Brown. Find something that pushes the two of them apart, or um, mm-hmm. you know, reduces the. See, so you'd, you'd wedge them a little bit if if you could, or at least find a way to get their their voters less engaged or less committed to voting. Uh, And the way to do that would probably be to talk a lot about the dominance, right? I think that Pierre has to go for the dominance strategy. You know, frankly, anything, it really depends on where Lewis is. We didn't hear very much about where Leslyn Lewis is, but assuming that she's in fourth place, um, if she's in fourth place and relatively close to Brown, then realistically, Pat, you know the Pierre will pick up those votes, and and Patrick and uh, Jean will be dead. Um, but if she's lower, if she if she's in a much lower position and doesn't transfer the votes, um, then you know Pierre's team is really screwed if he's under forty five. You know, under forty percent, under forty five percent. So he's really got to do what I would call a uh, a, a significant geo geo TV if he's sold this many memberships, there's no way that these sold, you know, this many rabid members. Right. Uh, so he's got a membership commitment problem. He's got, th- you know, probably mm. two three different levels of membership commitment and he needs to go through them and make sure that he understands who his number one members are, who his number two members are, and who his number three members are. And then he's got to go across the country, one riding by one riding and say, which not, you know, how big is my number ones here? Because if he just focuses on getting his number ones out, he's going to do super well in a, in a small number of ridings. But he, and if he just tries to get his number threes out, then he's going to be, you know, his points are all over the place. Mm. He's got to focus on points. That's what we did with Redford. Uh That's where we think we got Gary Maher. Gary Maher wasn't paying attention to points. Andrew Wilkinson's campaign, which Gary, Katie Merrifield ran, uh, katie 's involved with Pierre. It was very focused on points because points matter this is you don 't win on votes you don 't win on memberships. you win on points and when you when you 're playing those types of games, you have to focus on that and I think that pierre 's campaign can 't get lost in three hundred and twelve thousand members. They need to figure out which members are going to vote, uh, which ones need some help, and how are they're going to actually defeat Patrick and, and Jean.
0: Koi, round us out here. Um, the Polyev strategy, either respond to what you heard from Carter uh, or or throw your own uh, thoughts into the mix
1: here. Well, again, it's it's going to be very similar, but from a position of strength. So you're still looking at points at the end of the day. And um, you're going to look at the same three questions. Whose minds can you change? Who needs your help to vote? And how do you reduce the other guy's enthusiasm? And one thing that I, I didn't say last time, but I think it's important, and we talk about this a lot, you're going to do that exercise and you're going to have this crazy grab bag of tactics for a crazy grab bag of audiences. You know, you're going to have older folk in Nova Mm -hmm. Scotia who care about healthcare. You're going to have younger folk in Toronto who care about crypto. You're going to see the ability to change minds of charade supporters in Winnipeg based on, you know, electability. You're going to see the the way to discourage Quebec supporters of charades based on ethical failings. And this could be a cacophony if you let it, and it could be a cacophony Mm -hmm. that is, at best, inefficient because everything is a one-off, so you get no economies of scale. Well, you get economies of scale, and you get cohesion through story. So what's the story that ties all of this together? And that's a major part of the strategy that I, ha- I haven't talked
2: about hmm. yet.
1: But you, when you look at all of this, sometimes you make what seems like the individually inefficient decision because it fits in the story, and it props up the other four elements. And that's where you get those economies of scale. And that's how you build a winning campaign. So if I'm Polyev, I'm not taking a different approach than Sheree or Brown. I'm I'm looking at the same base numbers and I'm asking the same base questions. What's the most efficient way to get my points?
0: I like that a lot. I li- really like that concept about story. We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment, our next segment, Man Seeks Stable Relationship with province. <laughs> That's right. I want to talk about Travis Taves. Do You get that because of the stable of the horses. I thought you were going to go with Ontario. it works for so many jurisdictions? Stable and horses. You get it. Uh, You get it because he loves horses and he loves his horse shit on his shirt. Um, (laughs) Guys, I want to talk about Travis Taves, the uh, the Nagus now former finance minister. Yeah. um, Of the uh, Kenny government is the first to declare that he wants the job left by his former boss. I want to talk about his strategy. I want to talk about the endorsements he's had from caucus. But Carter, give it to me straight first. You know we've talked about going early, being out up front, good strategy by Travis Taves being the first out of the gate, website, video, branding, not message
1: not first out of the oh. gate. You're forgetting okay, Danielle so sure. Smith, who literally sure, before sure, the party sure, was sure. cold.
0: Sure, Danielle Smith. Well, but but first I should. I, Good point, Cory. First from within the caucus, yeah. first from within cabinet. I apologize, Cory, uh, to declare uh, from from the group in in the fold already. The first to declare. What do you think of that strategy, Carter?
2: Well, I think that if you're going to declare, you have to have your website. You have to have a great, uh, you know, a great campaign video. Um, preferably one, obviously that has shit on your on your jeans shirt, your denim shirt. You know, that's pretty important that you that you look the part of authentic rancher. Um, you know, I think that it was a well done launch. Um, he, you know, the, the thing that kind of bothered me about it was that he was this non-committal guy on Monday and was in the race on Thursday. Like it was just, it was boom, boom. Um, I mean, non-committal, I mean, obviously everybody lies at that point, right? Everybody just says, oh, I'm not sure or whatever. He, he was non-committal. As opposed to, I'm looking forward to being able to give you more information in the coming days. Which is still non-committal, but it doesn't make you look like a total rat fuck. Uh, and that's what he looked like. Uh, because he, he was, you know, did you make up your mind on Tuesday, uh, Travis? Like, and then you happen to have everything ready to go on Thursday? Give me a break. Um, no one expects you to announce your announcement before you're in the game. You know, we have a candidate announcing in Surrey on on, on Wednesday night. I'm not letting anything out of the bag because we've been talking about it in Surrey for the better part of two weeks because you have to have the media there. You have to do an event. You have to do all these different things. All of these things will matter and that event will be important. Um, So you have to have Mm. people there. Um, He needed to have his website ready. These things need to happen. So, you know, I I just don't think that he, his little silly bugger game played particularly well. And then, I mean, I'm sure you're going to bring us around to the caucus, so I'm not going to get too into that, but... Um, his launch, I, I, I was impressed with the pieces. I was not really understanding the shit on his shirt. Like, seriously, did he run out of clean shirts? I, I, what's the message? I'm willing to get down into the muck for you. Is that the message? Cause that wasn't the message of everything else. Corey will probably know because Corey, Corey's an expert in bullshit. So I'm looking forward to hearing. Uh, <laughs> or maybe it was horse shit. He's also an expert in horse shit.
1: A lot of shit, really. Expert, yeah.
0: expert, expert in two types of shit. Uh, Corey, um, with your dual shit expertise, huh. give it to me from your strategy perspective. Taves going first from within the caucus. What do you make of that strategy? What do you make of the launch?
1: Okay. Well, first we got to talk about this shirt. Uh, for those who are unaware on the website, on the front page, he's wearing – and this is my Has it pro- changed yet? I don't know if it's changed, but it, there was this crisp right blue shirt with just speckles of shit on it. My concern was not that there was shit on the shirt. It was that there was shit on a shirt that looked like it just came out of the wrapper. Right. And so it really had this feel of you put on your Sunday best and then some staffer said, oh, just, you know, dips his hand into a pile of cow shit and flicks his fingers at you to say, you looked a little too clean there, minister. You know, like it was the it was the clear staging of it that bothered me um, because a little more worn in shirt. I think you could have gotten away with the shit in a way that it wouldn't have popped so much on such a such a, you know, if it wasn't such a crisp canvas Uh, in terms of the timing. I I wasn't just trying to uh, bust your balls there about Smith. Smith came in first and that matters. I think Taves coming in when he did, uh, it really has to be considered him coming in second and in a reaction in some ways to Smith. And if you look at the people around him supporting both in the elected sense and the staff that we know around him, that is an awful lot of Jason Kenney's team. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. Smith coming in and Brian Jean acting so aggressively in caucus uh, as they were talking about who would be the premier before the uh before the result was made was enough to make jason kenney himself probably say you know travis if you want to do it you've got my blessing game on and that's important i do think it's a bit silly to say i'm not sure one day and two days later have 23 caucus members like that's not it's more than that,
2: isn't it? Like, it's, well, it's, it's like... twenty
1: three in addition to him and his co chair. I think so.
2: Yeah, his campaign yeah. co chairs. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah.
1: like, but like the Kfab of that was not very convincing. I suppose, but it was a solid launch. He's got forty percent of the caucus on day one. If anything, I wonder. Want... So he was clearly going for a bit of a shock and awe there. I'm not sure I would have done that, especially because so many of the people on there are so clearly Jason Kenney supporters. I feel like I would have maybe started with a few, like one or two, plus a lot of names that are not necessarily associated with the inner circle of Jason Kenney and trickled the rest of them out. In addition to getting media hits, um, you could almost sell this thing of, yes, they've come around to him. And yes, he's this rural guy, but he's getting the urban guys on side. Like, that's the story I think you could have told. Maybe it's just wouldn't have worked at all with the UCP because they, they know well enough his association with Jason Kenney, but it felt to me that they probably could have balanced that load a little bit better. Right. There was just an awful lot on day one.
0: Carter, um, Sonia Savage, his campaign, uh, co-chair alongside a a member of parliament. Some of the names on this list will be familiar to folks. Uh, who pay attention to Alberta politics, Jason Lewan, Tyler Shandro, Tracy Allard, Adrienne Lagrange. Carter, I, I, let's just jump right into it. And by the way, as of 9.17 p.m. on Sunday, the shit is still on the shirt. Um, Good. But Carter, <laughs> but Carter, talk to me about Corey's point here. Would you have done this as a show of strength and to take the pole position, which I suspect the strategy here was, tell me if I'm wrong, right? Uh, show of strength, take the pole position. I'm out in front. I'm the guy to beat. Is this what you would have done? And is, let me ask you the double barrel question and is seeking the pole position the right strategy for someone like Travis Staves?
2: No. I mean, it's, it's going to be, we don't even know the, the format of the race yet, but let's assume that it's a single transferable vote or preferential ballot. Let's assume that it takes a very similar format to the CPC race, with the notable exception that it's probably not going to be a points race. It will most likely be a one-member, one-vote race. One-vote, yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. now, basically, Taves has said, I'm going to win by 50% because if you're going to be in first place you have to win by you you have to win on the first ballot winning on this you know uh, it, it is very hard kevin falcon was able to do it in british columbia but winning from the first ballot um is super hard and it, if, if I just don't see Taves, uh, given the number of rumored candidates, I mean, we're looking at eight or nine different candidates that are going to be coming out of this. So the idea that you're going to get 50 percent and seven other candidates are going to get are going to share the less than other, you know, less than 50 percent there. That seems to me to be a really far stretch. Um, and why would you want to pick up all the baggage like you've got a, a, a caucus that is broken? Um, I wouldn't be worried about endorsements at all. I'd be worrying about selling memberships and getting people actually out there. I'll tell you something. Gary Maher had all the candidate endorsements, all the MLA endorsements in, in 2011. He, how did he do? Right? Where's Where's Jim Dinning these days? How's he doing, Jim? How are you, how you doing, Jim? How was your public career at the end? It doesn't matter if you have all of the endorsements. What matters is that you're able to sell the memberships, especially in a one member, one vote. And Travis Taves is going to be really challenged by that because it turns out all these caucus endorsements, every caucus endorsement in general tends to have fewer membership sales. You do not get the performance out of your caucus mates, especially if they're in cabinet.
1: Yeah, I don't know about okay, has that. You put a tar- I don't know. Yeah, respond to that and then I've got a follow-up for you. Go ahead. Uh, well, here's the thing. You're right. Um, Jim Denning had the endorsements and it went to Ed Stelmack. And you're right. Gary Marr had the endorsements and it went to Alison Redford. But it, with the benefit of hindsight, I think one of the things that we point to as reasons why neither leader was ultimately able to continue their term was because they did not have their caucus with them. And there's enough of an understanding of that in conservative politics that endorsements matter a little especially when you're talking about trying to keep this party together it's it seems more existential now than it did for either of those two candidates as well right which is part of why you want to be able to say i've got rural mlas i've got urban mlas i'm the person who can bridge these two together and i can get these things done it's part of the story that travis Taves is trying to tell in his candidacy and this takes us back to story again he's somebody who can live in both worlds he can be in a boardroom in downtown calgary he can be on his he, he can be on his farm uh, near Grand Prairie. Uh, he can he can walk amongst, uh, you know, the the people that he goes to church with and he can walk amongst the cocktail set in downtown Edmonton. He, he plays for all of these different. I know it's one time zone, but he plays for all these time zones. It, it would be the idea. And so in that sense, I think it does matter. I do generally agree that uh, endorsements are overrated in terms of delivering memberships. In many ways, it's kind of like the mythical man minute. You know, the more effort you get from the more people you have doing this, it's almost managing the people that becomes your focus rather than selling the memberships, which can be a fucking pain in the ass for sure. Uh, But the story he's trying to tell is one of being able to bridge both these worlds. If he was a totally different candidate with totally different concerns, it wouldn't matter as much, but he's decided he wants to be the uniter of the caucus. So having half the caucus on day one is not the, Yeah. I'm almost talking myself into it rather than kind of the that's no, approach.
2: You're wrong though. I want to, I want to, uh, it's a broken caucus. You've, you've got congratulations. You've got half this, the caucus. Where the fuck's the other half going to go? They're not going to come to you. This is, <laughs> this is a broken subset of, of the, of the conservative party. And it is the wrong subset for the victory.
1: Well, here's like, the thing. Here's who are the, the people that are bringing and, and, from and different different sides? Different. Here's factions. the base fact we've got to keep in mind. At the end of the day, this will be a vote of the membership. And the last time there was a vote of the membership, Jason Kenney won it, fifty one point four percent. That wasn't enough to stay on as leader, but it's sure as hell enough to be leader. Uh, you know. And this is that asymmetry we were but talking about before. So if Travis the- Taves just does as well as the deeply unpopular Jason Kenney, he's leader of this party
2: but you're taking you're taking a a vote that was 51.4% for a bunch of different reasons and assigning it to one candidate. There's no way that's going to happen. The bunch of different but, but, reasons but, but Carter, aren't Carter. going to follow to the guy with fucking horse shit on his shirt. This
0: guy you know, <laughs> Boy, I do I, I but but from let's let's talk about the strategy then Corey. If if you're talking yourself into the endorsements, would you have done what Carter would have done which is maybe not made them so monolithic in terms of uh caucus mates. Would you have added a few other folks to the to the mix? That's what Carter's ultimately suggesting here. Would you have talked taves into that? If he, if he was going to release a list of 23, you would have said, "Actually, make it 16 and make half of them, you know, conservative states people, make half of them folks in the caucus." What would you have kind of done to 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 kind of still signal that you're the king of the caucus but that your support is not just um in the kenny lane Mm. i'll get to you on that carter in a second yeah
1: you know what i i i don't i have to confess i didn't read the actual press release for all i know he did list a bunch of other conservative luminaries who are um who are supporting him i'm gonna have to pull it up now but that's coming you know that's coming uh and Maybe the logic of not going, oh, this week, Shandro's supporting him. And oh, next week, uh, you've got the endorsement of Nicolades. is you don't want to have the conversations about individual cabinet members. And you want to have the conversation Mm. about a unified team supporting unit, right? So rather than being able to point to individual members and have individual criticisms, you just have the group. There's some logic to that. But, you know, Carter is sitting here saying it's crazy. Jason Kenney is not the same, apples to oranges. I could not agree more except he's going to have all the apples and all the oranges because he won't have the negatives of Jason Kenny, but he'll have the team that gave Jason Kenny 51.4%.
2: Oh, yeah, because the team is beloved, right? Like when the team shows up, when, it, when it's the same people. It uh... doesn't
1: fucking matter. They won. Give me a break. He's going to get his
2: ass handed to him because it's... I mean, look at... Gary Maher played the same stupid mistake. Gary Maher in the... You know, we have a two-week runoff. It's Allison Redford, Doug Horner, and Gary Maher. Gary Maher picks up the three candidates that fell off the first ballot. He announces them all in the same fucking day. One news cycle. One simple news cycle. He puts it all out there. This guy's got one news cycle. He announces his, his caucus supporters, that he's running for leader. He takes two stories and he's got horse shit on his fucking shirt. Three stories. <laughs> and he shits it all in one day because he doesn't got a fucking thought Carter, in his head. Carter, but what comes let's, the let's, next let's... day? Two days. Three days. Four days. Develop a narrative, you jerk. Well, what makes you assume- – Carter, hold okay, on. You're making
1: a crazy assumption that he doesn't have these
2: things. Oh, I'll right? wait. I'll wait. What? Ha- I'll wait. I'll see how and it goes. You know we, what? Okay, bring this back next week, little Zane. Okay, bring this back, little okay, Zane. Okay, there's, there's a lot of I, I, there's a lot of horseshit <laughs> on
0: this podcast. Car, Carter, Carter, <laughs> uh, there's Lil Wayne, and there's I think there's also a Lil Zane already, Carter. Oh, um, oops. Talk to me about this, Carter. Channel this energy constructively.
2: That was uh, which could be
0: actually uh, which could be another way, another name of this podcast, I should say. <laughs> uh, Carter, channel this energy constructively. You've seen what Taves has done. He's positioning himself as a front leader, target on his back or not, to be determined, right? You've got the Smith, you've got the Gene, they're going to go. Carter, would you want to be in this race right now running a campaign? Like, is there a type of, for lack of a better term, a horse that you'd want in this race that you could run that you see a pathway to victory in? And what is it? You don't have to give me a name, right? But you're 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 upset about how Taves is running his campaign. You must see a lane for victory. You must see a path here. So talk to me about it. Talk to me about the path. Talk to me about the lane. I suspect your lane is not going to be joining the side of the Rebels, uh, a Daniel Smith or a Brian Jean lane, but talk to me about it. What pathway do you see now? So let's use it constructively.
2: Well, I think that there's there. – let's look at this as though there's three different camps that could win this thing, right? And there is the, there's the Kenny camp, which, you know, Corey Hogan's – Solidly in for some reason, uh, and then there's the 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 anti-Kenny camp, which Brian Jean and and, uh, and Danielle Smith will find themselves in. And then there's the the other group, which is this party was never supposed to be about these people. This party was supposed to be about our members. And I think that you could win if you came from a from a this party was supposed to be about serving our members. This party is about supposed to be serving Albertans and going back to what Albertans actually want. Finding a government that they want, not one that they pretend to want uh, when they're asked, you know, are you a conservative or are you a liberal? And, they say, and everybody knows in Alberta, you don't say you're a liberal. So they pretend to be conservatives, but our values are all aligned with liberalism. And there is a path to be won by going up a different conservative party. And that path would be really interesting. I see Sonny starting to look at that. I think that an outsider could come in and look at that path. I think that uh, uh, Rebecca Schultz could look at that path. There are a number of different candidates that could look at them. And more important... When this thing starts to roll up, Brian Jean and Danielle Smith votes, they're going to get two marks on their ballot. They're going to get Brian Jean, they're going to get Danielle Smith. They're not going to go over 50% of the the support. You could see someone like a Rajan Sani or someone like a Rebecca Schultz or someone like an outsider being in a position where they could roll up, right? Travis Taves has put himself in a position where he's going to be the front runner and front runners don't roll up.
0: Corey, respond to that and respond to the 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 three stream pathway that you're or, or the three streams that Carter's laid out is that kinda how you see this race evolving? No, not at all
1: <laughs> um i I think it's going to be a very short race um and you're gonna have a situation where you're going to have a number of candidates such as the Sonny's and the Schultzes of the world struggling to find enough organization to possibly get the members to win this thing. Lest we forget, there was a big membership sale drive just for this leadership review. So some of that works mm-hmm. already there. Some of that's baked in, as I've already talked about the majority of that group was willing to support Jason Kenny. I'll bet you if it was Taves instead of Kenny, it would have been 60%. And that's because he doesn't have some of the negatives around COVID. And, you know, even his comments, which, you know, as like I on a personal level, on an individual level, I hate like, well, I'm going to keep caucus confidentiality or cabinet confidentiality, but I'm a rural Alberta businessman. I think you know what side of that conversation I was on. Right. I mean, that's a pretty heavy wink to some of the people whose main frustration was the way Jason Kenney put in very sensible restrictions on COVID-19 meanwhile he was still part of the group that brought it in so he gets to have his cake and eat it too if he's careful and he's smart about these things you talk about a roll-up Stephen, and and what's likely going to happen is you will have daniel smith running around barnstorming you're going to have brian Jean uh-huh. running around barnstorming uh, and as those people fall out some of them will inevitably just go to Taves. it won't take a lot but because he's rural you know, he's in, from Grand Prairie. So some of Brian Jean's people will say, Yeah, I can live with Taves rather than Daniel Smith, who's a Southern Alberta libertarian. Uh, lest we forget, like socially very liberal Danielle Smith, right? Not going to be acceptable to some of Brian Jean's more church going social conservative voters. It's not going to be as clean as you say. Taves doesn't need all of them, he just needs a few of them. He is very well positioned in this race.
2: But you're forgetting the... Carter, primer. retort to
1: this and we'll round it out.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a psychology. We've, taught, we've covered this before. There's a psychology that if you don't... If there is a presumptive first ballot victor or there is someone who is running away with this, then when you mark your ballot for someone else, the odds of you marking your ballot for that person, this the person that was going to win the first place ballot, diminished dramatically. They, You have to get... Above 43, 44, 45% on the first ballot in order to pick up anybody else's ballots because there's a reason they didn't choose you the first time. There's a reason that 57, 58, 59% of the population said, nah, I don't like them. And they never ever get past that first reason that the the psychology of it is really mm. hard it 's like going and saying, "Well you know i don 't like Tide, but I 'll pick Tide the next time it doesn 't happen if you 've chosen that you don 't like Tide, you will pick another type of dish, dishwasher detergent or whatever laundry detergent before you 'll ever pick <laughs> fucking tide. What do you want from me what are you want? You're laughing at me? This is something uh, that is that's true, and then and then that... <laughs> I'm going to come to your houses. I have, I, you know, I'm going to come to your houses tonight. You just watch. I don't want that. We're going to leave. Thank you, Carter.
0: (laughs) We're going to leave that segment there. Moving on to our next segment, our next segment, man, seeks stable relationship with province. Corey, we're doing it again. We're
1: doing it about Doug Ford. Uh, Let's start here. Corey, is Doug Ford now the king of the conservatives? Um I mean sure but it's a constitutional monarchy it doesn't carry the authority it used to. He's uh he's obviously got um a recipe for success. He's not the philosopher king that Jason Kenney was. He's just the guy who's who's able to point to a victory in a way that most of his counterparts cannot. Um and that's that's a very strange thing. I think in some ways you've still got Legault as a as a more dynamic force of conservatism fair, fair enough. in in yeah. Canada. Um, yet to see if he'll be reelected though. Right. Which, which happens later this Yeah, it lo- I mean, I think he was leading by some insane yeah. amount, like Same. 30% it's, or it's, something. So yeah. looks like a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't look like it's in a lot of dispute there, but he's got a lot of reason to feel pretty good about himself. He's created this benign conservatism that most Ontarians don't even bother to show up to vote one way or another about, which I want to underline right now. I do not think delegitimizes his victory. And, um, mm-hmm well know, many many will disagree and so uh, he he's um yeah like i said he's king but it's it's not as though he's an absolute monarch
0: carter is doug ford king and is his victory legitimate because let's talk about i do want to get into the conversation of a couple of conversations here number one uh about voter turnout so i'll I'll kind of preview that and number two about The lack of turnout, but then even though we that the the turnout and how it was split amongst the progressive parties, but answer the the top line question is Doug Ford, King of the Conservatives. He
2: is King of the Conservatives. And I, I think that there's been some really interesting, you know, comment online about people saying, well, he's not really a conservative. Well, I'll tell you something. Here's the thing. You put the you slap the brand on yourself and you're a conservative. Right. Conservatives have looked very dissimilar over the course of the decades. Right. Conservatism in 1990 didn't look the same as or 1995 didn't look the same as conservatism in 1983. Uh, these were very different ideas. And each decade they jump and they become different. Doug Ford conservatism is the only one that seems to have the staying power to get through the the challenges that government brings. Um, that could change. And I think that Lego also fits into this category as well. A conservative that shifts to be where the people need him to be. Right. And and that mm. is the, the that is the conservatism that has actual staying power. And I'll throw it back to you, Zane, to to take us down the path of the voter turnout numbers. I agree with Corey. Um if if eleven people came to vote, that's that's the turnout. You only get to play with the people who choose to play.
0: Boy, whose fault was it? Like, I, like we've there's a lot of like hand rigging around, like, oh, the turnout. There's a democratic problem here. There's a democracy problem. People are turning to, you know, uh, other means of expressing themselves. A bunch of stuff about this. But you know, the other narrative is that this is an issue that the progressive parties, the liberals, and the NDP couldn't motivate people to hate Doug Ford enough to show up to the polls. Do you agree with? Do you agree with any of those that I've kind of put on the table loosely?
1: I'm a little cynical about anybody who's too stressed out about turnout. Um, Obviously, it's in the interests of societies that there's robust discussion and democratic debate. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a lot of panics about turnout in uh, Canada, you know, at the federal level. And certainly here in Alberta, we're no stranger to this anxiety that, oh, my goodness, turnout is just so low. People are disengaging. They're finding other ways to participate. All of that was very common. We heard that a lot in 2004, a lot in Mm -hmm. 2008 in in those elections here in Alberta. Um but part of it is there there wasn't a big burning platform that encouraged people to go out and vote. And we saw in Canada turnout really spiked up in 2015 when the election became more consequential. We saw turnout amongst youth hit, you know, multi-decade highs. So I I don't think that these things are destiny and I'm not absolutely convinced there's an absolute trajectory here. I would also Uh say uh you have a right to vote, not an obligation to vote. Some people may want to change that, but there's nothing that forces you to go. If you're just like, I don't care. Right. And if you are a government and the populace is in an, I don't care space, that tells us something too. They've made a decision. They've actively participated, maybe not in a way you like, but they've said, "Eh, it's not worth my time. Don't really care. And, um, and that's part of, I think, the, the Doug Ford strategy and it's part of the Doug Ford success is that he's got people not outraged about the cases, is of, yeah. uh, you know, deaths in nursing homes or or some of the the low key corruption charges or the, the handling of COVID more generally or whatever it is. Right. They're just not mad. And so the people who are showing up, enough of them voted for him, not enough voted for the others. He's still premier. That's how elections work. Carter, jump in on this.
2: Well, I'd say, I mean, I'm going to pick up. I mean, the I don't care group is making two statements. What they're saying is I don't fear Doug Ford enough to jump into this election campaign, nor has Doug Ford impressed me enough that I'm going to jump into on this election campaign. There's also a tremendous amount of di- data that shows that when you do the polling, when you look at the group that didn't vote, oftentimes they lean towards almost the exact same pro- the same group, you know, the same outcomes. So you're not looking at this group of, you know, uh, 55% of the population, if they just got off their heinies, you would have them all voting for the Liberals or all voting for the NDP or all voting for the Conservatives. They tend to be a rather homo- homogenous group when we look at the overall numbers. So it is not like, oh my God, everything would change if, if there was just better participation. Um, we'd probably have the same numbers, the same outcomes, um, but there was no, so there was no fear and there was no happiness. Um, and there could have been lots of fear. This is where I think that the failure of the liberals and the NDP was to stoke distrust and dissatisfaction within this government. That's their requirement. That's what they have to do. They have to get you either inspired about a new government or fearful of the existing government. That's how you get elected. This is not time for whatever the hell they did. They ran a bad campaign and the voter turnout dropped as a result. And, and no one, no one was better than Ford. Not I'm not going to vote because I'm not happy enough with Ford. I'm not going to not vote or I'm not going to vote for the others because they didn't inspire me.
1: Coy? Yeah. Let's put it through that lens we used earlier. In any election, the three basic questions you're asking is strategy. Whose mind can you change? Who needs help to go vote? Uh, Who supports you? And how can you reduce the other side's enthusiasm? Well, Doug Ford, whose minds could he change? He went hard after union voters trying to get the endorsement of people related to building trades. Who needs help to vote? Maybe not a focus because his voters tend to skew older and older people show up regardless of what the election is here. How do you reduce the other side's enthusiasm? Mission fucking accomplished because Del Duca and Horvath didn't connect at all with with the broader Ontario Mm. electorate here. And uh, well, a lot of that is the characteristics they brought into it. Doug Ford did his job by providing a contrast that seemed kind of like, oh, shucks, oh, you know, reasonable. Like I said, the the affable but mediocre boss that you've probably had at some point in your life, right? That was me. Uh, yeah. Right no, I think, I think we,
0: that's right. <laughs> Corey, that's right. I mean, neither I, affable
1: nor reaching the levels of mediocre, but yes, kind of like <laughs> you. you. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh, Carter, let's talk about, yeah, I, I don't want to spend much longer talking about, Horvath and Del Duca and and what what they did to really royally fuck up. But I I, I want to talk about where the conversation might go here because it's already starting to emerge the narratives of, you know, uh, these two progressive parties. There's there's two lanes and they're similar, right Carter? The first lane is these two progressive parties. If you kind of squash their two votes together, they they got more votes oh. than Doug Ford. Did you did you notice that folks? Did you notice that they they actually they actually have uh, a greater percentage of the vote than Doug Ford. There's that conversation. Then there's this conversation, which is these two parties, the Liberal and the NDP, got almost the exact same amount. And the NDP ended up with almost three times as many seats. And Carter, this is starting to trickle into a conversation about do we change the way we're voting? Is that where you see this going? Yeah, I mean, and actually, if so,
2: yeah. do,
0: you, do you feel like this is a healthy jumping off point for that conversation democratically, societally? Uh, so to speak.
2: Oh, this just angers me to no end, right? First of all, we elect people not on a <laughs> right. We 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 elect people not on a uh, on a provincial level. We we elect people on a riding level. Right. And I think that people want local representatives. I don't know that we want to go to a proportional representation position where all of a sudden we're going to see, um, you know, the, the number of M- M- MMPs handed out by the percentage vote of the of the overall province. Um, most people that are most lunatics that support proportional representation seem to like the uh, MMR model where it's a mixed member representation, which we've done a whole episode on that. I don't want to do it again. But bottom line, uh, if you go through and actually look at the voter turnout, you know, like the riding by ridings, these numbers cover up tremendous differences that occur at a local level because the local levels are different. And you can see in some places, the the Conservatives are winning by a majority. In some places, the Liberals. In some places, the NDP. The Liberals had a less efficient vote. That's what we call this. It's an efficiency question. Do I have my votes in the right places in order to win me the number of seats? We talked about it ad nauseum with the Conservative Party of Canada uh, rules and having points per riding. That is the exact Uh same uh equivalent. If you can't win across a country, if you can't win across a province uh, and get the most votes in those places... Um, Then this doesn't work. And I'm open to the idea of a single transferable vote in in our national and provincial elections. Let's go there. But no one wants to take one half step towards something like a single transferable vote. Instead, they want to upend our entire system and go to a proportional representation, which they use the wrong data to support. They use the provincial data. They use the federal data when really what they should be doing is looking at the local levels and saying, how much would we actually change? And the answer is not nearly as much as you think. And these two parties aren't the same. They just happen to be led in the same fashion. The liberals and the NDP had the worst campaigns. The only thing in common they had was their inability to be effective.
0: Right, I want to get your thoughts on this, and I'm not. I don't want to spend forever on it, but I, I feel like it is a nice opening to this conversation. Once again, uh, and and simply just an opening, not a not a comprehensive conversation. But your thoughts on this? You know, the 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 hand wringing continues around um, how we vote, and 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 do you feel like this is a good jumping off point for that discussion?
1: You know, it's very interesting um, because when conservative parties lose, they tend to say we got to merge, and when progressive parties lose, they say, we got to change the voting system. And there's probably things you can read into both of those, you know, the Mm. approaches to power and consensus and all of that. I do want to stress, this is not entirely Monday morning quarterbacking. So Carter says, nobody wants to go to ranked ballot, but actually the liberal platform, the OLP platform said they would go to a ranked ballot. The NDP said they would use mixed member proportional representation. Both parties, previous to this week, we're calling for changes to the electoral system because of anxieties about that. Like, It's also not new in Ontario that you look at it and you say, hey, NDP plus Liberal equals more than the Conservatives. Uh, that's been true uh. for quite some time. And people have been calling for democratic reform for quite some time as well. The addition of the lower turnout, I think, has spun into overdrive. This, this sense of, uh, like, not sense, that's the wrong word. This argument by progressive uh, partisans saying... Well, is this government even legitimate? Only 40% showed up of the 40% who showed up. Only 40% voted for Doug Ford. Ergo, look how few people actually voted. And hey, if you consider the fact that's only people of voting age, because again, some have looked at lower in the voting age. I think the liberals were calling for that. It's just all a mess. But come on, if the rules of the game were different, the game would be played different. That's the other thing I would tell people. You you can't Uh just take to Carter's point, the results and say, well, these results with a totally different outcome would have different outcomes well uh, sure but everybody would act different all the players on the field would act differently they would take different policy positions they would allocate resources differently so it's a silly argument uh, at the end of the day and if you want to get really down to it only conservative parties really I, I, on an individual party level have managed to get a majority of the vote at the federal level in the past 60 70 years right defen baker and Mulrooney. so um You know, it's not saying the Conservatives would never govern either. Um, Inefficiency. One of the things that I think the Liberals need to keep in mind so they don't absolutely lose their minds here is that the difference between an inefficient party and a ruthlessly efficient party is often small. Just imagine as a thought exercise, a party that wins every riding that they were contesting in by five votes and becomes government. We would say, wow, what an awesome party. How ruthlessly efficient that party is really smart resource allocation. If that same party loses every riding by five votes, we would say, oh, fuck, fuck those guys. They got fucked. They didn't run themselves very well at all. Reality is we're talking about 10 votes per riding in that scenario. So um, it's not uncommon to see parties that have really optimized their efficiency have almost no difference between getting blown out and winning big time. And you saw this in 93 with the PCs, right? Um, now, they didn't yeah. just lose by a couple of votes, but they got 18 percent of the vote and they ended up with two seats because yeah. they were competing everywhere. Right. So they get you get 18 percent everywhere. You're going to lose everywhere. Meanwhile, you get 18 percent of the vote nationally, but it's all in you know Western Canada. You're going to get 50 some seats. So that's um, that's just something you've got to contend with if you're a broad based party. We're going to leave that segment
0: there, moving on to our final segment, our final segment. Stephen Carter, it's the over-under. It's the lightning round. We do it for you, Carter. Thank you. And we do it for you because we want to start Thank with you. you, Carter. Are you in or out on the Travis Taves launch?
2: Uh, I am out. Get a new shirt um, and uh, try and do better, please.
0: <laughs>
1: Corey, are you in or out on the Travis Taves launch from what you saw? I am in. Uh, I can see exactly the strategy he's running, and it seems to be going okay. Also, I pulled up that picture while we were recording here. It's not as new of a shirt as I remember. It's a little worn in. The collar's a little frayed. I've been too hard on the shirt.
2: But not too hard enough on okay. the
1: shit. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. it's yeah. good. That's probably right. Corey, I'm going to
0: stick with you on this. Jean Charet and his point system explanation. Are you in or out on his showcase of strength? His showcase of path, his showcase of viability uh, after the closing bell on memberships. Are you in or are you out on how he put himself out there uh, to showcase his path?
1: Uh, it's a party I would go to, but he showed up too early to it. Like the hosts are still getting ready. Um, I would have waited a couple of days.
0: Carter, are you in or out on the uh, show, uh, showcase of strength by Jean Charest and his point-based we've got enough points to win uh, line that he's been using?
2: I'm in. It turns out points matter more than memberships.
0: Carter, overrated or underrated endorsements, endorsements from the caucus as it relates to this particular UCP race, overrated or underrated. I'm asking you very specific, not overall, because we've done that conversation, but this conversation, this UCP leadership race, overrated or underrated, Carter?
2: Overrated. I mean, name three cabinet members that people like. Uh, Name three caucus members that people know. Uh, This is overrated. Nothing is going to change. You know, Jason Kenney was the only issue, and it now has solidified Jason Kenney as the uh, Taves is Jason Kenney.
0: Corey, overrated or underrated in this UCP leadership race, the caucus
1: endorsements? Well, uh, every race is different, and every race has different needs out of the membership. There's a lot of reason to believe that there is a heightened need to get that caucus endorsement because you want to pull things together, but 100% overrated, they always are.
0: Corey, final question. I'm going to start with you on this. You know, there's been a lot of talk about this election in Ontario now creating a new coalition of voters for the Conservatives, this Ford coalition. In your mind... Is this replicable? Is this something that can be templated everywhere? Is this overrated or underrated, the new emerging Ford coalition that he used to to grant himself victory in Ontario?
1: This is the most frustrating thing to me. I fucking hate whenever someone's like, oh, look, there's the blueprint because every election is so different and temporally time will, time will move on and people will be looking for different things in 2025 than they are in 2022, for sure. I mean, it's just, it's not... It's so silly. It's like we say this all the time. Generals and politicians are always trying to fight the last war. So what you're going to look at this and you're going to say, all right, this is the path to victory here. If I'm a challenger for government, all I need to do is get. 40% turnout and yet have everybody think that I'm the default option, but also have a split on, you know, the other side of the equation between two unpopular candidates who fail to motivate people. That sounds like something entirely in my control. That sounds like a uh, private union support. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) like that's not, it's not no campaign strategy is wholly replicable. You always just want to pull the things that make sense for you. But this this is not Obama hope. This is not trying to pull a blueprint of doing something differently and breaking the mold. This is so of the moment, it blows my mind. There's nothing to be learned from this election. Absolutely nothing. Overrated is what I'm going with for Corey Carter. Overrated
0: or underrated the emergence of the quote-unquote Ford coalition.
2: I hope that everyone that I oppose in the next five years follows that strategy because then I will win lots.
0: (laughs) We're going to leave it there. That's a wrap on episode 995 of The Strategist. My name is Zane Velger. With me, as always, Corey Hogan, Stephen Carter, and we'll see you next time.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of The Strategist. It was our Sunday night special that everybody can listen to no cost. But if you want to listen to more episodes of The Strategist, You can, for as little as $6 per month, which is free practically, listen to twice as many episodes. There's specials, there's live streams, there's amazing opportunities, and it's all ad-free! Okay, well, every episode's ad-free, but it's the intention that counts. Sign up at Patreon.com today.